This is a True Foundations podcast. Real time, real life, real answers. We're in Revelation and chapter 2, and it's verse 12. Now, I hope as we go through this that you're able to somehow um, take what we've looked at so far and keep it, uh, compare it with the things that we look along the way uh, to get the full picture, because uh, this has an awful lot to say to us. And uh, we're so grateful to God that he has not only spoken to those people in their day, this would be in the last decade of the first century. Uh, but he's still speaking today. Some of the things look a little bit different because the culture was different. Time has passed. But in reality, there's not a lot that has changed. And so in that, it will help us identify the day that we're in. It will help us uh, to be discerning of the things that take place and know how to respond. And so this is what God has for us. Here we are, verse 12, to the messenger of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is, and you are holding on to my name and did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the sons of Israel, to eat meat, sacrifice to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent, Otherwise, I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone. And on the stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now, a Pergamum was, uh, again, a pagan city. Many, many different aspects to that. One aspect was the worship of a god called Iscapulus. It was a snake god, and there was a temple to this, this god. And people would go and sleep there, and the place would be inhabited with snakes, because he that's what he was. He was a snake god. And... They hoped that somehow while they were there, a snake would crawl over them. This is weird, isn't it? Uh, because Iscapulus was a god of healing. And so they hoped that if a snake crawled over them, I hope it wasn't poisonous and bitten them and they died, uh, that they would be healed. Oh, that's weird stuff. But, you know, I, there's weird stuff around today. Not that much different. That's just one aspect of it. But I think here, uh, what God focuses on is something that is of great significance. He starts off, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. If you know anything about Rome, the Roman Empire, 
and the soldiers, that's what they had. They had a sharp twitched sword. And even more than that, it seems that this was written in the time of an emperor called Domitian. And this guy, well, he was a narcissist. Uh, he was cruel. He was paranoid. Now, I don't know him personally because I, I never met him, but I, this is what many historians say. And he was an absolute control freak. And many of them were, of course. But this particular one, he, he wanted people to worship him as a god. So this is going, this is going a step further. And interestingly, he had this thing about free speech. And if anybody spoke against what he thought and what he said, he'd have them exiled. So the crushing of free speech is not a modern thing. It's not new. I, this is what this guy was doing. That should speak to us, actually. So this was the day and the world that these Christians were living in. And this is the focus of what the Spirit is saying to the church. All this other weird stuff was going on because it's pagan, worshipping some snake god. They worship Zeus and all kinds of stuff. But here, and in particular, God is interested in what this evil emperor personified. Now, if you've read the whole of the book of the Revelation, you will have read about the beasts. Now, we know that the beast uh, speaks of anti-Christian government power. That's what it speaks of. And that's why it says, Pergamum, where the throne of Satan is. Why? Because Pergamon was one of those centers of governmental power. Of course, the whole of the Roman Empire, I, it's an anti-God empire, but there were centers of it. It was focused in those areas where certain decisions were made and the, the decisions were put out there. And so it's where the throne of Satan is. It's not as if Satan is restricted to just being in Pergamon because you can see his, influ his influence through the whole demonic structure all over the world. But there were certain places where there was a focus of it. And, and this ungodly emperor, because he, he demanded worship, and he would not allow anybody to speak against him because he was the one who told him what was true and what was right. And because he's this narcissist, he couldn't handle the fact that somebody had a different opinion. Uh, and because he was paranoid, he had to stop it uh, because he's afraid. Uh, in many other ways, he was probably an effective ruler, but that's the way things are in life and in the world at large. And he tells me something about that kind of governmental power. Uh, the beast that is personified in an individual. In the scheme of things, there are many, many people in places of power that personify that throughout the world, throughout history. It tells me something. It says that these kingdoms, at the very root of them, they were narcissistic, but they were fearful, paranoid. So they have to stop anything uh, that does not agree with them. And it also says 
that they're in a very dangerous position themselves. They are not as secure as they think they are. Or what is put out there that they say, they are not as secure. Because we know that the principle is this, that God uh, really, when he intervened in history at the Tower of Balaam, he divided the kingdom of the evil one. That was personified uh, through a ruler in that day. Divided it, kingdoms fall. Some seem to last for a long time, but you can watch them, they're in decline. The Roman Empire, as much as it was a great and powerful empire, was more fragile than it would like to think it was. And there were all the seeds of division and destruction at work. You see, wherever Satan's throne is, that's what it's like. And we need to be aware of that. Because in the day that we are in, it looks as if Satan's trying to build a throne in various places in the Western world. And he is, I don't doubt that, you know, not in the sense, you know, he's going to rule here or he's going to rule there. But his influence throughout anti-Christian governmental forces, that's what he tries to do. The seeds of his destruction are already there. But that was the environment in which those Christians lived. Not an easy environment, was it? There was persecution as well. It talks about this guy Antipas. Nobody really knows much about him. He's recorded here. He was a martyr for the cause of the gospel. That's the day that these people lived in. That's the environment. It was a cruel, intimidating environment. And, and yet, in spite of that, there were Christians in Pergamum who were faithful, and God was pleased. Of course, faithfulness is, there's just something about faithfulness that, that warms your heart, doesn't it? Those people that you can completely rely and trust, they've no hidden agenda. There they are. They, they are just faithful people. God loves that. He knows them. He knows everyone. And he looks upon them kindly. And his goodness is shown through their faithfulness. But it wasn't all like that. You see, this is a pattern that's developing. We had that wonderful, wonderful uh, example of the church at Smyrna. We're going to have another good example in a few weeks' time. But increasingly, we can see this pattern and we can recognize that in reality, the true and the faithful Christian throughout history is actually in a minority. I we perhaps talk a little bit about that again next week with a bit more depth to it. On the face of it, it's not very encouraging. On the surface, it doesn't look good. That's the way it's always been. But we shouldn't stop there. Because on every occasion, uh, even in those churches where God said, I got something against you, he offered a way forward and he offered something really, really good. And this is what he will do here. He had a couple of things. So this, this guy Balaam's mentioned, and the Nicolaitans are mentioned, and uh, there's always some aspect uh, with, with heresies that creep in. Sexual immorality seems to crop up a lot. It's not rare. We don't actually know 
the details. They're mentioned, they're recognized in history. There's a lot of speculation, but we don't actually know the details. We know about the example in, uh, of Balaam from the Old Testament in Numbers. And whatever's going on, and there's this, this whole business uh, of eating meat sacrificed to idols. So there was some idolatry that was entering in. But the idea of it was that whatever it was that these people in this day, in this church, whatever it was they were doing, they were enticing Christians into falling, into false doctrine and sin. So there must have been something about the enticement that, that would, I don't know, grab the intention of the people in the day in their situation. So whatever it was that it was there, we've got to look out for enticements. You know, is, is there something out there that entices us to, to go down a certain route? It's presented in a way that perhaps it's going to be helpful. It's presented in a way that perhaps, uh, well, you know, God is doing a new thing and it entices people. Let's grab hold of that. So there has to be an enticement. That's what this one is about. The Nicolaitans, again, nothing is really known, but there are some clues. And the clue is really the hidden manner. So we'll talk about that more in a moment. But the clue is the hidden manner. Now, there's, there's an idea that the Nicolaitans were involved in a heresy which was growing fairly new uh, called Gnosticism. Uh, and it's complicated. It, it's an interesting story, but it's really, really complex. And Gnosticism is about hidden things. So it offered insight it often offered knowledge that's not readily available. You see, not everybody has this. Uh, so it's, it's offered. That appeals to somebody. Gnosticism also had this idea, oh, it's called dualism. Uh, and as it developed, it presented good and evil as equal and opposite, which is obviously a, a heresy. But there, there are Christian people who are kind of in that mindset. Even today, good and evil are equal and opposite. They're not. Evil cannot even exist without the goodness first. Evil is a twisting of the goodness. Goodness is not a twisting of evil. Goodness is, is self-existent. It's right. It's true. Uh, but evil isn't. It's perverse. So Gnosticism had these strange ideas. Uh, and for some people, they must have liked those ideas a chance to get one up on some other Christian by knowing more, for understanding more. And of course, uh, it's not available to everybody. But I think about the truth of the Word of God, it's not always easy to understand. And sometimes we've got to really dig and, and, and press in to find and understand. But actually, it is open uh, to all who have an ear to hear. It, it, it's not about... Uh, uh, some special people that get this, some elitist people. It's not about that. It's for every believer. And it should be offered to every believer. And uh, that's a problem, but it's not. It's one of the reasons why in days gone by, um, for example, the Roman Catholic Church used Latin 
And the priest at the front, he'd read the Bible in Latin. But he didn't have a clue what he was saying. If, if he even tried to explain it, I, can you rely on him? You know, he's, he's got his own agenda. He could tell them whatever he wanted. Well, that's not, that's not a gospel. That's not the truth of the word of God. It's open. There's other equivalents to that. It doesn't have to be Latin. It could be anything. Other little special ways of understanding. It's not about that. Truth is available to everyone who will hear. That's what God intends. And it's wonderful. It's a great leveler. And of course, some people understand things more easily than others. We know all of that. But essentially, it isn't hidden from people if they will hear and receive it. It's available. Well, you get groups like the Nicolaitans who, if they were into Gnosticism, early Gnosticism, which it appears they might have been, they were often in something that's hidden. Well, what does God think about that? See a little bit of difference here and a bit of difference there. Aye. The church is all for that. But that's not right. This is what God says. I'll come to you. I'll fight against you. Well, how is he going to do it? He'll fight with truth. Does it not tell us elsewhere in Hebrews that God is the one who comes, the Spirit of God comes with that two-edged sword? You see, there is a sword of Rome which brings death, but there is a sword of the Spirit which divides us from the inner place so that we might put away all those things that are against him and are not true, and he opens up the heart to receive the truth of his word. It's powerful. It's life-giving. There's a comparison. There's Rome. There's that anti-Christian power base. There's this wicked, wicked emperor who sets himself up as some deity. But God, see, all of that brings death. But God, he will bring life as his word comes and divides in the deep place and opens us up to receive life-giving truth, putting away anything that is from evil, not from the goodness of God. He says, repent. For God, this is not acceptable, you see. For God, it is not acceptable for people uh, to go along down these routes and pick out the nice bits, the good bits. Oh, no, well, that's okay. No, that's not so good. I won't do that, but I'll, I'll pick this bit out. For God, it is not acceptable. In fact, he said, I'll fight against it. I don't want God fighting against me. I'm bound to lose. You know, it, it is a serious matter to come and understand the truth that God has for us. Why would we ever fight against it? Might not be what we want to hear. But we better hear it. Because it will bring life to us. If we surrender to the sword of God in our lives. It will set us free. Anyone who has an ear should listen. It's what the Spirit says to the churches. See, he speaks to Pergamon, but he speaks to them all. It's always to the churches. Well, you know, Pergamon, this, they had this thing going, and yeah, they did. Ephesus had something going, didn't they? Hey, there was a problem there. They'd lost the first love. Smyrna, doing well. 
The message is for them specifically, but it is for the whole. And the message is for us. It's for the whole. It's for the whole church. It's for the whole body of Christ. Let's listen. And if we find ourselves enticed, if we find ourselves going off some track uh, for this this elitist uh, thinking, this elitist knowledge, repent. That's the only way forward. It's not about just tweaking a bit of, of the understanding here and there. and It's not about adding some information. It's about repent. I need to get before God. I need to give up all the stuff that, that I have falsely taken hold of. It, it needs to be revealed for what it is. Put it away. Repent. And if you do, I'll give you some of the hidden manner. You see, this is where the clue is. Hidden. Well, it's hidden, but it isn't. So, repent. Now, it's open. What was the manner in the wilderness? It was God's provision. Uh, it was a great symbol of his, his grace to his people. The provision that he gives us day by day. It, it's echoed in the prayer of Jesus that he taught his disciples to pray. What do you give us today? That bread, daily bread. It's grace. Whatever we need for the sake of the kingdom of God. What do you give it to us every day? Well, here we are. We, this, is, this is a long way on now. This is near the close of the first century. Uh, John is the last of those guys still alive. He would remember the day when Jesus said, Look, this is how you should pray. Uh, and now he's saying... This is what he wants to give us. He wants to give us uh, what he spoke about all that time ago. I, I want to give you of that hidden manner. Well, the manner is there for all those who have ears to hear. The provision, the goodness of God uh, as it is uh, spread out for us. We take it and we eat it. And we do well. But even more than that, I'll give you a white stone. See, he's speaking to the churches. It's a stone of victory. It's a stone of purity. But it's a stone of identity. It is a wonderful thing that God, Jesus who died for the whole church, who died to conquer all evil, this very same one, he looks at each one individually. He looks as the church of the whole and he says, I don't like this and I don't like that. But he looks at individuals and he says, you are a victor. And I want to mark that because you are different from everybody else. We're individuals. We all like to be individuals, don't we? We really do, don't we? There's nobody quite like we are. You are. Nobody else quite like me. That's the way it goes. I, I find all this remarkable when you think about it. Of all the people in the world, and you come across them, and sometimes you might be walking down the street, you can recognize somebody, even from the back by the way they walk. Now, how many ways can you walk? But you can. Sometimes. Some people, you can recognize them like that. You can recognize them by their voice. How many voices are there in the world? And yet, you pick the phone up, if it's a good connection, 
You know who it is, and it's not because you've got call display. You know by the voice. I think that's absolutely remarkable. How many people do you, do you know? And you know them by the voice. Not just by the features and stuff like that. I mean, that's more obvious, isn't it? But I think it's absolutely remarkable. We are all different, and yet, here is the journey that we are on that, that God is speaking of. You're unique. There is nobody like you. And yet, are we not made in the image of God? It's not that God has many different images. It means it takes an awful lot of us uh, combined together uh, to even approach what the image of God might be. But individually, we are rediscovering the image of God. It's wonderful. And these people, what a blessing for them, who were perhaps afraid to speak freely because of this lunatic emperor uh, who might send them away, might even have them killed, possibly. Antipas was restricted in society. Can't do this and can't do that. But God says, I'm going to give you something that will sustain you, my grace, that hidden manner. It's not hidden from you if, if you're clean. If you come by the way of repentance and you are a victor, it's not hidden from you. And even more than that, I look at you as an individual and I value you. And I tell you who you really are. It's wonderful. God has so much to give to his faithful people. And we miss out. Why? Because we've been enticed to something that is a waste of time and leads to death. We've run after something that we think will give us the advantage. But actually, we don't even need that. When we are faithful, God gives us everything that we need. Individually, we know who we are in Christ. And then we come together and God says, well done. Amen. Thank you for joining us. True Foundations is headed by David J. Jones, a preacher and teacher of the Word of God. His passion is to help individual Christians discover their true identity in Christ and to learn how grace operates in their lives. Currently residing in Canada, he is taught in both North America and the UK and has listeners all over the world. If you have questions about anything you've heard today, please email us at info at truefoundations.ca. Or for more information on True Foundations resources, please visit our website at truefoundations.ca.